Uh, we're walking through the book of Mark, right? Everybody joining the journey through the gospel of Mark. I mean, of all of the gospel writers, he's the one that gets to, I mean, if you're going to turn the gospels into an action movie, you use Mark's gospel, right? It gets right to the heart of the matter as quickly as possible. And we're in chapter 12, so if you got your Bibles online in here, go to Mark chapter 12. Uh, Cliff was in 11 last week. We're going to jump into Mark 12 today. Again, this account that we're covering today is found in Luke, uh, as well as in Matthew, and we'll reference that. But uh, we're in Mark chapter 12, and if, and if you know the context... We're in the last week of the life of Jesus. We talked last week about Jesus entering into Jerusalem, right? We've had Palm Sunday. We've had the moment where Jesus has gone into the temple, right? And he's overturned the tables, right, of the money changers. And he's given them the lecture, right? Quoting from the prophet Jeremiah, listen, you've taken this house, right? The house of God, and you've turned it into a den of thieves and robbers, right? Jesus' anger was directed at these people simply because they had made the way to God impossible for people like me and you, right? And what what aggravated Jesus, what drove him to this action in the temple was God was supposed to be a place where people, right, could find access to him through the temple and the Jews had made it about them. And so we've entered into that. So by the time we get to Mark 12, we are in Wednesday of Passion Week. We are in Wednesday of the week that Jesus will be crucified. We're talking two days before the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. That's how close to the end we are. So let me ask you a question. Those of you online in here, how many of you have watched the series The Chosen? Oh, how many of you have enjoyed it? Yeah, many of you, right? Uh, listen, if you're a, if you're a black and white person, as far as rules and regulations, you might not like the chosen because it skips around a little bit. It's, it's not always completely accurate to God's word. But if you enjoy seeing the pages of scripture put in human perspective, that you can, that you can connect to on a more than one dimensional level, you can find some great moments in The Chosen, right? And one of the things that you see as the series has developed is you see Jesus, when he comes onto the scene, he stays on the fringes, right? He stays away from from the crowds. He's there to basically work his way from the outside in. I mean, he's born in Bethlehem in a manger. He was raised in Nazareth. And of all the cities to be raised in, in that particular area, Nazareth was as far removed from the center as you could be, right? Jesus worked his way from outside to in. By the time we get to Mark 12, Jesus has done messing around. He's not in Galilee anymore. He's not in Capernaum anymore. He's not in Nazareth anymore. He's not in the outskirts anymore. And he's not telling anybody, hey, don't tell anybody about what just happened. Jesus is now in the heart, in the heart of what has turned out to be the most disappointing place that Jesus experienced. And that is, he is in Jerusalem. The hub, the hub of Old Testament faith 
the hub of Judaism in Jerusalem, where it is as far removed from the truth as it can be. And Jesus isn't playing around anymore. So when we get to Mark 12, we run into a Jesus who's done. Who's done with the Jews. Who's done hiding what he is. He's turned over the tables and the money changers. So in Mark 12, we're going to read these first 12 verses, right? So if you can, I want to ask you to stand with me, right? If not, don't worry about it. I want to read these verses together. And let's read what happened. Mark 12, Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. He rented the vineyard to some farmers, and the owner moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. They seized him, beat him, sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head, and they treated him shamefully. Then he sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many, bring that verse back up. He sent many others, some of them they beat, others that they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. The tenants said to another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and they killed him and they threw him out of the vineyard. What then, here's the, here's the question of the parable. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then the chief priest, the people who were, the parable was for, the chief priest, the teachers of the law, and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. You guys can be seated. By the time we get here in the life of Jesus... The crowds of people that he has amassed because of his humanitarian efforts, because of the miraculous signs and wonders. Listen, the crowd is ridiculous. I can't even imagine how many thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people followed Jesus into this situation, right? They're there. They're all there. And here's the thing about the, the chief priests, the scribes, right? The Pharisees, they were afraid of the crowd. They were completely terrified of them. Right, And so they did everything they could to avoid inciting the crowd. So by the time we get here, we have a good news, bad news situation. So let me ask you, those of you online, anybody, everybody in here, if you, have, if you have to hear good news and bad news, who wants to hear the bad news first? Okay. And how many of you want to hear the good news first? And how many of you just didn't participate? All right, just check it. Right? So this story is a good news, bad news situation, right? So we're going to cover both of them. So here's the first part. Bad news that turns into good news, right? Here's the thing about this parable. When Jesus starts the parable, he's quoting basically from Isaiah chapter 5. Listen to the prophet Isaiah who prophesied against Judah and against Jerusalem specifically. Listen to 
to Isaiah chapter 5. It says this, right? Remember, the parable is about a vineyard owner, right? Who plants the vineyard, right? Does these things. Listen to Isaiah 5. I'm going to sing a song for the one I love. A song about his what? His vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up, cleared it of stones, planted it with the choicest vines. Look what else he did. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well, right? He looked for a crop of good grapes, but the vineyard produced only bad fruit. That word in the Hebrew is the idea of a sour grape that produces nothing that's worth drinking, right? He goes on to say this. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more, he says, what more, next verse, what more could I have done? What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled, right? I'll make a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, Briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. Now listen to this. He says in verse 7, The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of who? Israel, right? And the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. Listen, when the people heard Jesus start the parable about an owner and a vineyard, and a wine press, these people knew Isaiah 5. They understood it. They also knew when they knew Isaiah 5, he was talking about judgment. Because if you read Isaiah, the rest of that passage, all Isaiah does is prophesy judgment upon Jerusalem and Judah. Now here is Jesus. He is quoting, right, referencing Isaiah 5 to these Jewish people to get their minds ready for the parable of judgment. Does that make sense to everybody, right? This was, listen, you know, how many of you love some of the songs that we sang today, right? Yeah, it's awesome, right? Listen, when you hear those songs like, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Doesn't your brain go to places that you've heard that song before and some of the churches you've gone to before, right? Listen, there are certain things that when you hear, it takes you on a journey to where you go. When these people heard Mark 5, these Jewish leaders, it took them exactly to the place of Isaiah 5. They knew what was coming. So Jesus isn't telling a parable now about the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. No, no, no. He's preaching a parable of judgment to these people, right? And what he's saying to these people is, this is bad news for you. Listen, I want to read another passage. This is in Jeremiah 7. The prophet Jeremiah said, I gave them this command, obey me. This is to the Israelite people, obey me. I'll be your God and you'll be my people, right? Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. 
The prophet Jeremiah says they didn't listen or pay attention. Instead, it says this. They followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward, right? From the time your ancestors left Egypt until now, day after day, Jeremiah says, and again and again, I sent you what? My servants, the prophets, but you didn't listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked, did more evil than their ancestors, right? And prophet... Jeremiah goes on and on and on, constantly referencing the fact that these people, the Jewish people, constantly ignored the servants that God sent. Sound a little bit like the the parable, right? The owner had a vineyard. He gave it to people to rent, and then he sent his servants. And what did they do? They beat him, and they sent him away. And then he sent another servant and they beat him. What did the prophets say over and over again? The prophets over and over again said, here's what you did to my servants. The prophets, you didn't listen and you didn't listen and you didn't listen. How about this passage? Listen to the one in Matthew chapter 23. Skip that one. Listen to Matthew 23. This is Jesus speaking after this parable in Matthew 21. He stands over Jerusalem and listen to what he says of them and the seven woes to the Jewish leaders. Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You've built tombs for the prophets, decorate the graves of the righteous, and you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets, right? So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophet. Go ahead then, he says, and complete what your ancestors started. You snakes, you brood of vipers. If you watch The Chosen, you watch how Jesus constantly tiptoes around the Jewish leaders, tries to stay on the outskirts the first couple of years, right? As he is out within the mass of people, the marginalized people that he's constantly bringing close into his circle, right? But now in these days, the last week of his life, Jesus doesn't care, right? You're snakes. You're a brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Therefore, he says, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you're going to kill and some you're going to crucify. Others you're going to flog in the synagogues and pursue from town to town. So upon you will come all the righteous blood that's been shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the priest, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. He goes on to say this, truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets, stone those sent to you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as hens gathers chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Bad news for the people of Jerusalem, right? These people have absolutely, absolutely detested And were detestable in their handling of all the good that God had given the people of Israel. All the way back, right? All the way back to Abraham when God started this by by creating a people that were his, a possession of his own. All you have to do is read the Old Testament and you see a group of people, the Jews, who became more confident in being Jewish than they ever did in being a people of God. And by the time we get to Mark 12, these people aren't even pretending that this is about God anymore. This is about them. This is about what they have, what they want, what they need. And the reason that they hate Jesus is because 
He's directing the crowd, the mass of people that these Jewish leaders controlled. He's directing them away from them. And they're angry. And so they seek to kill Jesus. Now, here's the the good news about the bad news that God gave the Jewish people. The The Jewish people's rejection has been good news for Gentile people. How many people in here are Gentiles by birth? Not Jewish. Let me see your hand. All right. You realize that all of us who have faith in Jesus, if you're online and you're in here and you have faith in Jesus, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Right. You realize that our ability to have faith in Jesus is a direct result of the rejection of the nation of Israel. Somebody say amen. Amen. Right. That's how we got this thing. Listen to Romans chapter nine. What shall we say then that the Gentiles, that's me and you, right, who didn't pursue righteousness, right? Have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness, they haven't obtained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. The Jews stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written. I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Man, if you believe in Jesus, let me hear you say amen. Bible says as long as you believe in Jesus, you'll never be put to shame. Somebody say amen. Right. Our our good news. Your good news, my good news today is solely dependent upon the bad news of the rejection of the Jews. Because God rejected the Jews for their lack of faith. We've been given the opportunity to accept that righteousness in Christ through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? That's good news, is it not? That's good news for all of us, right? Skip the Romans. Oh, actually, let's look at Romans 10. Check this out. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed the message? Consequently, listen to this, everybody in here, everybody online, read this with me. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, right? From hearing the word, and the word is heard through the word about Christ. Paul goes on to say, but I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did, the Jews. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, right? Their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I'm going to make you envious, right? By those who are not a nation, I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. Isaiah said, I was found by those who did not seek me, right? Revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, all day long I held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Their disobedience and their obstinance is the reason that you and I are, you and I have the ability to have faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, church. It's a bad news, good news situation. Paul wraps it up in Romans 11 and sort of brings it all together and says this, did the Israelites or the Jews stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their sin, right, their transgression, salvation has come to, right? I want everybody, when I say salvation has come to, I want you to say your name, right? Salvation has come to, right? Their rejection has become our salvation. Their bad news has become our good news. Somebody say amen, right? He says, has come to the Gentiles to make what? Israel envious. He goes on to say this, right? 
Next verse. Yeah, next verse. If some of the branches have been broken off and you and me, though a wild olive shoot, right, have been grafted in among the other olive branches, when now, and we now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, he says, don't consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do, he says, consider this, you and I don't support the root, but the root supports us, right? You and I can say, branches, unfaithful Jews were broken off so that I, an unfaithful Gentile, could be grafted in, right? Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief and we are there because we have what? We have what? We have faith. Don't, listen to this, everybody in here read this with me. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. Listen, here's the thing. It's really simple. Mark 12, the parable is told so the Jewish leaders hear Jesus re-emphasize what Isaiah said in chapter 5. You are going to be judged. You have failed, right? And here's the thing. If we're sitting here in Ormond in 2023 or watching online, wherever you're at in 2023, and you're not a Jew by birth, we have been grafted in to that family because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen, church? And here's what he says. If you're a Jew or a Gentile who's been grafted in by faith, you as a Gentile believer should never be arrogant. Ever. Arrogance and faith for a Gentile is an oxymoron. We should never be arrogant because we were simply grafted in because of their unbelief and because of our belief. We didn't get it because we're such good looking people. We didn't get it because we're so rich. We don't get it because we're American Gentiles. There's no privilege to the stone which was rejected by the Jews. The privilege comes when we have faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. So listen, I don't know about you, but I am grateful that the bad news for the Jewish people turned into good news for me. Is anybody else grateful for that? Listen, let's make sure that we treat this gift as we should. Let's treat it with humility. Let's treat it as if something we didn't deserve. Right? He says, do not be arrogant. But what? But tremble. Tremble. There's a lot of arrogance in the American Christian church. Too much arrogance in the Christian church in America. We should be people who have been humbled by our ability to be grafted in to God's people. Because let's be clear. Let's be clear. When God made a promise to Israel all the way back, all the way back and said, these, these are my chosen people. That's who we are now. We have been adopted as sons and daughters into the people of God. And when he comes to claim his own, we will be foreigners who've been accepted as family simply because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. Amen. Right? Now, it's also a good news, bad news situation. The bad news for the Jews turned into good news for us. Amen? 
Now let's not, let's make sure that we understand that we should not let this good news turn into bad news. Matthew says this in his account of the parable, right? So when the owner, so the owner sent the servant, they beat him. The owner sent another servant, they beat him more severely. The owner sent another servant, they killed him. And eventually the owner sent his son, thinking that because he was the son, they would respect him. They, they killed him, right? Jesus asked the question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what's he going to do to those tenants, right? Let's be clear in the parable. The owner of the vineyard is who? Yeah. It's God, right? The owner of the vineyard is God. The son of the owner is who? Jesus, right? Question is, what's the owner going to do when he finds out they killed his son? Here's what the crowd in Matthew 20 or in Matthew 21 said. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, this is the crowd. And he, listen to what he's going to do. God's the owner. God will rent the vineyard to other tenants, right? Who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus goes on to say this in Matthew 21. Have you never read in the scriptures, the stone, the builders, right? Rejected has become the cornerstone. Listen, the cornerstone of your life, the cornerstone of everything that you and I believe in is Jesus Christ himself. Somebody say amen, right? That stone that was rejected by the Jews has become the cornerstone of our lives. He said, the Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, listen to what Matthew says. We don't want the good news that we have in Jesus to turn into bad news. So he says, I tell you that the kingdom of God. So now we know that the vineyard is no longer representative of a nation. Right? A physical nation. It's now representative of a group of people that are following God. We call that the kingdom of God. He says, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and will be given to a people. And everybody online and everybody here read who those, what those people will do with the kingdom of God. Who will produce its fruit? That's the purpose. So if you believe in Jesus and you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior in here online, let me hear you say amen. amen. Right? If you're online and in the chat, you can just you can just type amen, right? But let's be clear, if you have accepted Jesus through faith and you haven't rejected Jesus, but you have allowed him to be the cornerstone of your life. Let's be clear what our responsibilities are in the kingdom of God. Hey, bring that verse back up real quick. Right here. Who will produce, say it with me, its fruit. You see, when, when, when the owner built the vineyard, he had one expectation. The expectation was that the vineyard would produce what? Be, produce fruit. That was the purpose. And here's the thing. You, 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 you read, right, and you, you find out that a vineyard that's that's built will take minimum four to five years to produce any fruit, four to five years. So it wasn't like he judged them harshly, really quickly. He gave them time, right? But the expectation of a vineyard is that it will produce fruit that will produce juice that you could turn into wine and make a profit because the owner and those who work it have to make a living, right? He says, in Matthew 21, that the vineyard is representative of the kingdom of God, of which you and I are a part of through faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. 
And whether you go to Tuesday church or whether you go to Wednesday night service or whether you come on the weekend, the same, the same is true for all of us. Our job in the kingdom is to what? Produce its fruit. It produces fruit. Now, I want you to listen to John chapter 15. Right? I want you to listen to John chapter 15 because Jesus narrows this down for us so that you and I can keep from turning good news into bad news. Jesus says this, right? I'm the true vine and my father is the gardener, right? He cuts off, right? Everybody say cuts off. He cuts off every branch in me that bears what? No fruit, right? Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he what? So if you're doing good and God's using you, you can expect the season where it feels like God's punishing you. Right? You ever been through good seasons and all of a sudden it got really, really hard and you're like, what happened? Right? That's because the fruit that God produced in you is great, but now I need to produce more fruit in you. So when I prune you, that Greek word means to take something that's blocking the next fruit production season, taking it out of the way. Right? I don't know if you've ever cut into a healthy branch, but it seems like it's a miserable experience if I'm the branch, right? That's what happens in there. He says, if you bear fruit, you're going to get pruned. It's going to get personal and it's going to hurt, right? God's going to get into your life and into your faith because there's something there, right? That's going to keep the next season from coming. That's why everybody I hire, I tell them, you're good enough. Where you're at today, you're good enough, right, to have this job. But if you stay there, you'll never be good enough to keep this job. Because the only way you stay is you got to grow, right? Because the only way to produce more fruit is to be pruned, right? He says, every branch that does bear fruit prunes so that it will be even what? More fruit, right? He goes on to say this, right? You're clean, right? Because of the word that I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and as I also remain in you. Aaron preached about this. If you if you follow on Wednesday nights, and if you don't, you can check it out online. You can go to the Church Center app, right? You can go to iTunes, wherever, to find Tomoka Christian Church sermons on Wednesday night. Aaron preached a great sermon about this idea of remaining in Jesus, that when it comes to growing in our faith, when it comes to being a disciple, that's it. Everything begins and ends with our relationship with Jesus. Somebody say amen. He says, as long as you'll abide in me, right? Take up habitation with me. Do life with me as I also will do with you. No branch, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You got no relationship with Jesus. You got no hope of producing fruit in its kingdom. And remember what <coughs> Jesus said? <clears throat> Hang on a second. Just talk among yourselves. <laughs> you remember what Jesus said? <clears throat> Jesus said, that he's going to give the vineyard to other people and their job will be to produce its what? Fruit. Right? He says, you can, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Listen, it's one thing to accept Jesus. And if you accepted Jesus, say amen. It's another thing to abide in Jesus. Like abiding in Jesus is uncomfortable. I don't know about you, but I've been living with the same woman for 34 years and it's hard some days. Right? And then when you're dumb enough, to, dumb enough to add children, it gets really complicated. Right? Listen, dwelling with people can be complicated. Right? It can be tough. The Bible says that you can't bear fruit. You can't produce the fruit of the kingdom unless you remain in Jesus. 
right? He goes on to say this, listen to this. He says this, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear fruit. It's not an option, it'll just happen, right? But listen to this, here's how the good news turns into bad news. Because he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, here's the bad news. You're like a branch that is thrown away and withers, right? And such branches are picked up, say it with me, thrown into the fire and what? And burned. Let's be clear. The bad news for the Jews that was clear in this parable is good news for the Gentiles. Somebody say amen. The good news of our relationship now in Jesus can turn into bad news if we do not remain in Jesus. Because if we're branches connected to a vine that's sole purpose is to produce fruit and there's no fruit in you, that branch can be thrown away and burned into the fire. Now, you say, well, what is fruit? Well, let's just narrow it down to what it ultimately is. All right? John chapter 15. Let's pick it up there. Do the la- that last one, right? John 15. Let's start at verse 10. John 15, 10. Let's just boil the fruit down to one single thing. Because it all boils down to one single thing. And whether you're in Tuesday church or Wednesday night service or the weekend service, it does not matter. Whether you're 20 or 80, it's irrelevant. If you know Jesus, you're connected to the true vine. And the goal of that relationship, just like the goal of being in this vineyard, is to produce fruit. Somebody say amen. Listen to what Jesus said. If you'll keep my commands, you'll remain in my love. Right? Just as I have kept my father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Right? Anybody in here, anybody online ever wonder what their purpose is in Jesus? You ever find it hard to know what you're supposed to do? Two people. Come on. I know more. I know better than that. Right? Many of us have struggled with that. Listen, it's not complicated. I don't know why we've made it complicated, right? Maybe because we have forgot the admonition we should never be arrogant as Gentiles who've come to faith in Christ, but we should tremble. But we've made it complicated. It is not complicated. Everybody online in here, read this with me. My command, singular, in the Greek, not plural, one command. My command is this. Read it with me. Love each other as I have. Is that complicated? No, that is one simple instruction. Do you know what ultimately being in Jesus and remaining in Jesus looks like? Do you know what fruit is best produced in that relationship? Love others as I have loved you. And it doesn't matter if you're 88 or 28. It doesn't matter if you're 48 or 38. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter if you're married, single, widowed. It does not matter. The reality is, if you know Jesus, there's one thing that you're to do. My command is this, that you what? Love each other as I have loved you. Then he says it this way, right? He explains it, right? Greater love has no one than this. You wonder what love's supposed to look like? Don't ask anymore. Here it is, church. This is no greater love is than there is than this. What? To lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends, he says. Next verse, you're my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I've learned from my father I've made known to you. Right? Listen, the bad news for the Jews 
became great news for Gentiles sitting in Tomoka or in Ormond in 2023 or watching in line. Somebody say amen. The stone which the builders rejected has become our chief cornerstone. But the good news for the Gentiles kind of turn into bad news for us just like it did for the Jews if we simply fail to do the one thing that we're supposed to do in the kingdom. And that is produce its fruit. What is its fruit? It's really simple. Love the way you love. (laughs) You didn't hear that, okay? (laughs) Love, love the way you were loved. You want to know how to act in your home? Love, no greater love, no greater love. Everybody say no greater love. No greater love has won than this, than he laid down his life for his friends. You want to know how to treat your spouse? Lay down your life for them. You want to know how to treat your, your family? Lay down your life for them. You want to know how to treat your enemies? Lay down your life for them. Don't tell me you love Jesus and you won't love other people. Because the Bible says you're a liar. The Bible says you can't say that you love God who you never see and not love the brother who you see. Don't tell me you love Jesus and then don't love your brother. Don't tell me you love Jesus and hate your enemies. Because Jesus said you're to love your enemies. Right? You see, we have forgotten the admonition as Gentiles who've been grafted into the family tree. Don't be arrogant. Instead, we should tremble. We've become arrogant. Because we've taken the Bible and we've chosen what to do. Listen, the reality is there ain't no choice in this. The, 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 the world that we're watching happen outside of our walls. Many of us are very, very disappointed and disgusted with the way our nation is beginning to look. Yes? Very much so. But here's the thing, church. Those people out there that are making our nation disgusting, they are the very people that Jesus died for. They are the very people that Jesus died for. Lest you have forgotten and I have forgotten. We were once like they. Apart from Jesus. Having stumbled over the cornerstone. You want to know how they find it? No greater love has won than this. Then we learn how to lay our lives down for other people. You see, people who are humble because they've been grafted in. And not arrogant are willing to do what Jesus asked them to do. But Gentile Christians who are arrogant are people who refuse to do what God asked them to do. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'd love to see our nation change. Amen. I'd love to see our politicians change. Amen. I'd love to see our schools change. Amen. You want to know how to get rid of darkness? Learn how to be the light. There are people right now that are, that are leading the charge in darkness just like the Apostle Paul was. And somebody simply needs to show them the bright light of Jesus. You want to know how you do it? Stop debating. Stop arguing. Stop getting involved in silly debates and discussions. Simply learn how to lay your life down for your friends and your enemies. Because Jesus said, those that take up residency in the vineyard have one job. Produce It's fruit. That's it. And Jesus said, what is that fruit? It's one thing. Love. Love. Paul said it this way in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. 
He said, the only thing that matters is that your faith works it out itself in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for accepting us. He didn't have to. He didn't have to. After your people who were chosen by you rejected you, you didn't, you didn't have to. But in your infinite kindness, your infinite grace, you allowed a way for a Gentile boy who was raised in Wheeler, Illinois, to come to faith in your son, Jesus. You allowed him to make Jesus his cornerstone. Just like every person in here who's listening and everybody online who's listening and watching, you've allowed us that privilege. And now you've placed an expectation upon us because we are now people who have become tenants in the vineyard. And our job is to produce its fruit. Our world is in desperate need of the fruit of the kingdom. Not the arrogance of people who think the kingdom belongs to them. But the trembling of people who understand just how gracious the owner's been. God, make us a people who learn how to turn the good news of Jesus into good news for other people. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.